Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. I'd like to welcome my co-host and namesake, Lisa Monk. Thanks, Lisa P. What a great name. You can call me Lisa M for short. I'm a recent psychology graduate from the University of Toronto, and I also work with Lisa P as the creative marketing assistant at FAO Academic Writing. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is about the undergraduate experience from the perspective of a recent graduate. We thought this topic would be helpful to our listeners who are preparing to start university or college in the fall. While being a student can be very stressful, having the right tools and insights can make the experience better. My podcast co-host, Lisa Mung, is a recent psychology graduate from the University of Toronto who is passionate about understanding how to build meaningful human relationships and interactions. She has worked with the Bloor Street United Church Refugee Outreach Program, where she learned a lot about connecting with individuals from different cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds. She currently works as a Creative Marketing and Business Administration Assistant at FAO Academic Writing, where she engages with others online in order to share helpful information and foster a sense of community in this time of uncertainty. Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, Lisa Mung. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Yeah. Really excited. Let's talk a little bit about why you chose to go to university. So, I mean, university enrollment has definitely increased over the past two decades, but Canadian enrollment is actually lower than international student enrollment. That's interesting. And a lot of students are opting to go to college over university because it's easier to get a job in some cases because college can be more geared toward developing practical, more easily transferable skills. So why did you choose university over college or taking a gap year or something like that? For me, a large part of that was, I think a lot of people, a lot of students can probably relate with the family pressure. I think it was kind of like just expected that I would either go to university or college. I think at that time when I was just graduating high school, I was also pretty like uncertain about like what exactly my skills were and like what I wanted to do. So I think because of that, I I probably didn't feel like completely confident just going straight into the job market. In a way, university like kind of gives you more of like a sense of structure to your life and also like an identity as a student. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it like that. I I wanted to go to university since I was seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just like school. I'm, and I heard, oh, there's more school? <laughs> Sign me up for another 12 years. I thought it was 12 years. 
Oh, wow. Because it was like grade one to grade 12, right? So I thought, okay, so it must be another 12 years after that, once I finished grade 12. Yeah, I don't know, it was weird. And I knew I wanted to go to Toronto. That brings me to my next question, because I know you're originally from Vancouver. So why did you decide to pursue a psychology degree at the University of Toronto and move across the country? Um, well, when I was in my last year of high school, I felt like I really had to think about what I wanted to study. And I've always been pretty interested in psychology, so it wasn't too hard to decide there. But when I was researching potential schools and different programs that I could go to, um, it seemed like University of Toronto was one of the best. Mm. And my, I guess, hometown university, uh, the University of British Columbia, like their psychology program just wasn't quite as strong. Mm. I, I don't think like I specifically like meant to come all the way here to Ontario, but I think in the end, like most of the schools that I was interested in just happened to be here. Oh, that's interesting. Were you homesick? Because that's kind of uh, young to move far I away. I think I, I was a little bit, like, especially in my first year, I was, like, feeling pretty isolated. But, I, like, also just talking to people about my experience, a lot of people did ask me that at the time. Or, like, oh, like, don't you miss your family? Like, did you, why did your parents just let you do this? <laughs> uh, but I think, like, for some reason when I was in grade 12, I kind of just got the idea that I wanted to sort of move somewhere and kind of start fresh, but I just didn't, I guess I just didn't anticipate exactly how far it was away. That's interesting. So you're kind of adventurous. I don't know about adventurous, but I guess like in that way, I'm kind of independent, just like growing up as an only child. Yeah, that that's the opposite of me. Well, first of all, I didn't go that far for my first degree. I only went to Edmonton. Oh, University of Alberta, which was an hour and a half drive from where I grew up, but I literally cried, oh. <laughs> like, almost every, I don't know if I called my parents every day, or at least once a week, and I cried because I was so homesick, and uh, they used to visit me once a month and take me to the, we'd go to the theater together, like, to see plays, but yeah, I was homesick, and I lived in a dorm. I had, um, I made friends in the dorm, like, pretty quickly. I'm glad I lived in a dorm. I think if I lived on my own in an apartment, like some of my friends did, I would be lonely. Like, some of my friends, it was hard for them to make friends, because it's hard to make friends in class. So, did you live in a dorm? Or did you, like, I know now you kind of live in an apartment with a roommate, but... Um, well, when I was in my uh, first two years, I lived, like, on campus in dorms. I think the first year I had two roommates, and then the second year was, like, a little bit of a bigger layout, so I had three roommates. Wow. But, like, yeah, it was, like, definitely, like, a little bit noisy at times, but, like, I think I really enjoyed it. Like, um, I think I learned just, like, how to better, like, get along and live with people together, and I think that kind of prepared me more for, like, the real world you could say it's like living with people outside of school yeah did you are the did those roommates become your friends um well like my roommates when I was in first year like my two roommates became friends and I right. didn't feel so close to them but 
uh, in my second year, it was a lot better. Like we were all friends, I would say. Oh, okay. So the second year roommates, you became closer friends. Um, yeah, I think that was also because um, in my second year, like I joined this sort of like, I guess, program in a way where they uh, house people with like the same majors and the same classes together. Oh, okay. So we just like naturally had a lot more in common. Oh, that's cool. Were they noisy? Because I know like, I've heard some complaints from students, like sometimes if you get mismatched with your roommates, it can be really difficult. Like if one person likes going out and maybe partying and the other person is a bookworm, they often like, then there's like a clash. So did you experience that in your first year or was really just like, there wasn't much to talk about? Um, I guess that wasn't really much of a thing because uh, in my first year, like all of us were like quite home buddies, but and I know uh, when I went, when I was living in the dorm, like way back when, 20 years ago now, but when you filled out the application, you would select like, what do you want? Like for noise level. And there was, you know, loud, moderate, quiet, very quiet, quiet. So you, I selected the most quiet. And there was some other questions related to like your personality or your kind of study patterns. I don't even know, I don't know if they also asked you even when your courses were or something. But because of that, then I ended up on a floor which was considered a very quiet floor. And then everybody was pretty quiet. So we ended up having things in common in that we like to do some of the same activities which would be quiet activities. Did they have, do you remember, did they have that kind of process when you applied for where you were going to live? I've heard that being something that they do at different other schools, but I don't think at U of T that was a thing. Um, yeah. I actually think like in my first year, like uh, on the campus, there were, because I did go to the Mississauga campus, um, mm. there were like little houses and also like a big dorm sort of condo there were like many different formats yeah. and there was even one that was like quite outside the campus but you just like it was like a roll of the dice um so I guess like with that I was pretty lucky that both years at least I was in a place um where there was a kitchen so sometimes like my roommates and I would like cook together oh that's fun yeah we didn't have that I mean I guess actually I lived in residence for four years but oh, the, fir the first, the first, like all first years had to go into the one, it's like a big tall building and it's, uh, there's individual rooms and then there's like a cafeteria, which I think they have at UTM, right? Um, yeah, they do. Yeah. But then later they had what kind of like what you're talking about, which would be, we had, we then three of us, we moved out to this four bedroom apartment that had a a kitchen and we lived there for two years and that was supposed to be like for more mature students you had to be in your like third or fourth like at least someone had to be in their fourth year in, or like in graduate school or something anyway we talked a lot about this housing thing but I think it's um it's I mean it's something to think about if you're you're going off to school 
where do you want to live and, and what do you want it to be like? So on that note, you know, what's something you didn't expect when you went from high school to university? Um, I guess for me personally, like one of the more obvious things was just I went to a pretty small high school. Like I think there was um, just over a thousand people <laughs> and like my university, it, initially it wasn't even that big a campus, but it was just quite a shock to me. And um, especially like UTM, which is like partially in a forest. Yeah. Um, sometimes like I had classes from one end to the other and you really had to kind of run and oh, yeah. in a gap. <laughs> you have to really be, you get to be a really fast walker. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I think also just like uh, the class size, because in high school we had relatively small classes. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like it was, at least in my, sorry, in my high school, it was expected that you kind of like know your teachers on like a personal level and they kind of know about you and your personality. Okay. Um, but at university, like especially first year, there would be like rooms with like hundreds of people. So that was yeah. like a shock to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Well, you, I mean, I came from like my graduating class was 65. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um and yeah the classes but I think at U of A when I went yeah there'd be a couple hundred people in those big lecture halls not like now if you go to like UT downtown you might be with like a couple thousand people oh, in yeah. one hall or something yeah I remember that being I remember being like kind of scared of like talking to the professor asking a question but going because before, you're probably similar to me, like if you were a good student, you must have been a good student to get into UTM. And like I would talk in class in high school, but then once I got to university, I was kind of mute. Yeah, I think in high school, like academically, I was a good student, but I think at the same time, like I kind of felt like I could be like a little bit sassy at times and <laughs> definitely didn't feel that way in university. I was like, at first I was like quite tense. Yeah, well, now you're with all the other smart people. <laughs> it's more competitive. Um, I mean, even in my high school, like, I, I did, like, do well enough, but I definitely wasn't, like, the smartest kid. And then in university, like, especially going to, like, such a good school as U of T, I felt like, wow, like, I don't feel so smart at all anymore. Yeah, I remember that. And I don't know if you went through this, but did your grades drop the first year? Compared to high school? Um, yeah, I think like uh, starting out, I was, I took more science classes and uh, for stuff like chemistry, my grades were pretty low. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember fortunately someone warned me that because of the adjustment from high school to university, and I tell my students this all the time, is that the first year you're probably going to experience like a 20% drop in what you normally would get in high school. So if you got 90s in high school, you're probably going to get 70s in first year, unless you're like a super genius, hardworking, always the top of everything you do person. But um, that helped out because I think I would have gotten really, I would have felt really disheartened if all of a sudden it was like, I'm failing. <laughs> it's seven, I mean, 70s not failing university. I think 
people need to realize that's actually a pretty good grade to like start out with. It's like a B minus, B minus or a B, depending on where you Yeah, I think you are. Uh, in my first year, I think like probably by the end, my average was about 70. And like, I, I think I felt quite bad about that until like, you know, a lot of people that I knew at the time in my classes were, you know, even worried about just being able to pass and then that kind of put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you probably improved over the years, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, as you got the hang of it, understood the expectations. So what, if you were coming in now, um, if you could talk to your 18-year-old self, what kind of things would you tell her to well, help her be more prepared? I think, like, this one piece of advice, which I really wish I got because I was pretty unprepared in some ways and like I haven't heard anyone say this yet but um coming from British Columbia like the high school curriculum there is just a little uh more relaxed maybe compared to Ontario hmm. um especially in like the sciences so I guess I would have wanted someone to tell me to I guess like research the differences in curriculum and try to like I guess study and make up for that difference during the summer so I wouldn't be like behind my classmates. Oh really? I didn't know that. I thought, I mean, I've heard like it's just hard. Like even if you're really um, good at something, chemistry. Well, think, like the only moment I realized that was when I was in class and talking to other people. Mm. And then they were like, oh, this is just review. We already learned this in high school. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, it's hard to know that, though, in advance. That is true, but I think hopefully, like, someone will hear this podcast and then they'll know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, how could you know that you'd have to... Yeah, how, how would... Maybe that would affect your course registration process or something? Like, how could you actually figure that out like even if you're not, I mean you're from BC but I'm from Alberta like what if someone's from Nova Scotia how would they how would they find that out I don't know exactly but I would say like the best bet would just be um first I guess maybe to go to like you know the school board websites to sort of see if there are like any significant differences in like the high school curriculum hmm. and then I think after that I would look on like uh, certain like websites like Facebook maybe like groups where people who are like already at that university mm. um, talk about like how hard their classes are. Yeah that's a good idea. There's a lot of Facebook groups for students. I was also thinking if there's any way to get a copy of the syllabus but that would be hard. I, mean, I don't know they don't put that much detail into the course description. Um, yeah, that's true, especially at UFT. Like, I've taken courses before where the name of the course was one thing, and then when I get to the class, it's something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also maybe something to realize or think about. I mean, obviously, if you get there and it's the first week, and you're like, wow, I don't know what the heck this is when you're reading the syllabus and it's all new to you and you feel overwhelmed you can't you know get in a time machine and go study it over the summer but something maybe you could do and what i recommend to people is 
to treat those first two weeks of the semester as like shopping. So even though you registered for these courses, just because you registered, you can still add and drop courses for a while. So, you know, go into the course, see, okay, does this interest me? Can I do this? Should I maybe take this next year if it's not a, a required course? And like switch some courses around, talk to classmates, you know, get a sense of what the professor is like. It, that's really hard in the first year because you don't know anything. That's but, true. Um, I think like a lot of people did sort of realize that, but then at the same time for like a larger university, the wait lists fill up really quickly. So I would even say like to make a sort of like a plan B schedule with like different yep. classes in those time slots and like the moment you realize the class isn't for you just try to be really decisive. Yeah that's what I would do like I would if you're registering for five I would have like seven that I think <laughs> I want to take or something you know and uh, I, in some cases, it depends on the university or the college, sometimes you can register for more courses. So even if you're supposed to take five, sometimes you can register for six or seven, it depends, and then drop one. Like, go to the six and then decide, no, I don't want this one, and drop it. Like, if that's possible, that's easier than adding. So dropping is always easier than adding. That's a good point. We're talking about a lot of useful things here. So we're kind of on this topic. What do you have any other tips for selecting classes or planning your schedule? Like, what did you learn? Um, I would say like time is a big one. Um, sometimes there's maybe like the temptation to like stack all your classes right next to each other. Mm. But like I kind of learned the hard way that that doesn't really work very well. Why? Well, I guess on top of like the time it takes to commute, there's just no time, you know, in between to like rest or even like drink water. Oh, or eat your lunch. Um, I would also say like one year, I remember I had my earliest class in a day started at 9am and then I had oh, another God. class that ended at 9pm. Wow. And in between there was like four or five hours of like free time. Mm. And I planned on using that time to like eat and also study and get work done. But like in the end, I just ended up being really tired. Oh yeah. Well, but, I mean, yeah. I would just goof off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember fortunately before I went to university, my dad said to me, don't pick any courses that start before 10 AM. Right. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, I tried to do this in my first year. I thought, I'm going to do all my courses at 8 a.m. and, you know, get them over with. And then he ended up always sleeping in and, like, missing his class. So I actually did that throughout my entire university, even in graduate school. I never would take a course that started before 10 a.m. And actually, I had pretty good attendance because, and even now, I don't start work till 10 a.m. But um, that was a good tip. So I'll, your tip is good, too. Like, I think both of them are related in that it's about expectations. So you can think, oh, this is a great idea. I'll get everything done. But you kind of have to know, think about like, is that realistic? Like, can I realistically get to class at 8 a.m. for four months, like in the dead of winter? 
Am I going to want to do that? So. Um, I guess like also for winter, since we're in Toronto and the winters can get pretty intense. Um, I would definitely say like plan more time for your commute in the winter. I know I had yeah, like professors were more forgiving of like if there was a storm and people showed up late, then I also had professors that were like, well, you should have like looked at the weather, you should have planned ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true, because you got to put on a lot of stuff, like even yeah. just going from class to class, or thinking about like, when I went to university, uh, especially this happens later on, not so much first year, because first year, you probably have classes all over campus because you're kind of in a more general program. Like it's not really till third or fourth year that you are really choose your major for a lot of people. So, you know, don't freak out about that if you don't know what your major is. So you're kind of going to all different departments across campus, unfortunately, probably in the first couple years. But as you go along, I found, and I don't know if this is the same at UTM, but like the humanities and social sciences departments, and this is the same at U of T downtown, are basically in the same building or the same couple buildings. So I was in Edmonton, which is like super cold. Like, I mean, it'd be like minus 30 some, I wore snow pants to school <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Cause it was so cold. But once, but then, you know, once I would get into the building, I would just be in the building all day, you know, eat my lunch, see my friends, go home. So I would try to avoid going outside as much as possible. So that's something to think uh, about. I think at like UGM, they actually have a few buildings that connect or like sort of mm -hmm. underground tunnels. Yeah, well, that was the same at, at the University of Alberta. They have um, like pedways what we call in Alberta, which is like above the ground sidewalks that are covered and they like, or bridges, they kind of link the buildings like that. So the humanities building and the social sciences building were connected by one of those. And then the middle was this thing called Hub Mall, which had like stores and restaurants and stuff. So it's a good place to like eat your lunch, you know, hang out waste those four or five hours <laughs> good tips um so how did you we already sort of I, I was sort of starting to talk about this i guess and saying like things change as you go from first year to, to fourth year how did your original expectations or plans change as you progressed in your degree um well i guess my first year i really thought like like right after I graduate, I'm gonna go straight into like a PhD. I'm gonna, you know, become a psychologist. But I think <laughs> like even after like year two, that seemed to be like, maybe like that's not exactly what I wanna do. Mm -hmm. um, I think also like I didn't expect like transfer campuses. And also that um, transfer like <clears throat> coincided with me like sort of switching programs, but not quite. So did you transfer from where? What do you mean? Oh, so I transferred from the University of Toronto, Mississauga to downtown. Okay. Uh, it's technically like not a transfer, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, like the process is the same as like between universities. Really? Yeah, it's, they, they, they say that that's to like, make sure there isn't like a bias if you 
like already start out at U of T? So, I mean, are all your courses transferable or were some of the courses like not accepted? Um, I think pretty much like all courses were transferable. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, it was just a lot of paperwork. Mm. So how did that change your plans? Um, well, with transferring, I also was originally going to do a double major with psychology and biology, but then I guess like my interests in the sciences sort of wasn't as strong by the end of my second year. Mm. Um, I think like I tried to take an anatomy course. Um, I don't know why, like a lot of my classmates were trying to go to medical school, but then I realized that was just really not for me. Mm -hmm. So then I decided to just switch to like doing a psychology specialist. Okay. I don't know. I think I had a pretty, I, I was always going to be in political science. It was pretty linear for me. Would, do you have any, um, so given that your plans changed over the course of your degree, um, is there anything you would recommend to someone to how to like better deal with that or make it smoother or, you know, is it, it's just, you know, that's the process. It is how it is. Um, I think it kind of is the process, but I would also say just like regarding different programs, do as much research as you can and also have like a plan B and a plan C just in case. Mm, good point. What are some things you would recommend students avoid? Um, probably obvious, but all-nighters definitely. Or just okay, waiting. why? I love um, alternators. <laughs> I think it kind of just like sort of like offsets your sleep schedule and your like everything else schedule too. Yeah. Um, I guess there's like a false sense of like how it's like 9 p.m. like between now and 9 a.m. that's like 12 hours of like writing but those like hours of the days aren't really as productive as like daylight hours I feel like. But you think it's so good. Right. And well, at least that was my experience and my friends. I just wrote something so brilliant at 4 a.m. I mean, you think you have a lot of time, but like the few times that I pulled one, it's like at like, you know, 8.50, it's like still like trying to get it done by the last minute. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would be running across campus. That was basically my story. I think it's also, there's like Which more is not good. I don't recommend it, people. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I've also talked to, like, people, um, who, like, had to physically hand in papers, and... Oh, I, yeah, I just dated myself. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, that was, in a way, a good thing, because I feel like digitally now, there's, like, way more temptation to pull an all-nighter. Well, also, you can come up with excuses, but... I think if you're, I think they don't accept it too much of like, oh, my computer went down or whatever. Like some professors are really strict. Like if you um, don't, if it's one minute late, I'm not taking it. I think it depends on the class, but I think generally if it was like an assignment that was um, like given out like months in advance, then it's not really like a good excuse at the last minute. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, we, and they still do this. Still, some professors, they want a hard copy paper handed in at the mm -hmm. office. Not so much if they use turnitin.com and stuff. But they still do it. And I remember, yeah, you'd have to get to the office before it closes. You'd have to get the thing time stamped. You couldn't put it under someone's door. We used to try to do that, like push it under the professor's mm -hmm. door. But then sometimes they wouldn't get it for like two days and then it would end up being like two days late. So. Um, yeah, I think I've also had classes where they wanted like an in-person copy. Um, I think that was just because like a lot of people ended up like skipping the class that was like the. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, I, yeah, I would do that. No, I know. I hated it when it was like, you have to hand it in in class. It was like, oh, no. I mean, or I'm like, skipping all my classes today to work on this. I mean, I also had classes where there was like something due and then like either a class or like a test that same day. So that wasn't fun. Yeah, I know. I guess the thing is, you know, try to avoid last minute stuff in all nighters. But ultimately, it's probably going to happen at some point. <laughs> we yeah, try to avoid it as much as possible. Did you access any of the campus resources when you were a student? What did you find most helpful? Um, I think like in the beginning, I didn't really, I wasn't really involved with anything, but uh, when I transferred here, I became a part of the new college. Okay. And like each, um, well at U of two, they have like many different colleges. Mm -hmm. and you would go to like your own college for resources right so um the one that I really liked was the like college writing center so yeah like at each of the colleges and at my college there was like a writing center and um there were like one hour sessions with the I guess like a writing specialist and they would help you um go over like essays and stuff yeah but they have like a time limit don't they um, yeah, I think it's normally just like one hour and you can only sign up for like one each week. Mm. Was it ever like super busy? You couldn't get in? Um, I think during like exam season it's busier so uh, you can sign up to like with your phone number and then if someone cancels their appointment they'll call you at the beginning of the day. Yeah, it, it's a really, it's a good resource. The, 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 I mean, the university has tons of good resources, it, but the problem is they don't have enough funds for everybody to use them, mm -hmm. and you, they, they can't, well, I don't know what your experience is, but based on feedback from my students is that even though it's kind of personalized, it can't be too personalized because they're just seeing so many people. So yeah, I recommend use this, the resources on campus and then if you need extra help, find someone like me. I think what I tried to do is like anticipate when I'd need it to like book it in advance. Um, and when I found like one instructor that I really liked, I would try to like book more with them. But then sure. I also had like experiences where uh, the person just wasn't really that helpful or didn't understand what my paper was about. So smart, smart. Yeah, there's lots of other, did you access any other resources? Well, I think I was also referred to like, 
I know there is one for the philosophy department, like individual departments also have resources like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also maybe one for like a math center. Oh, that's, yeah. And like, I know the political science department at U of T, I mean, all, I think most departments, they have a graduate advisor and an undergraduate advisor. And especially right. if you have to like, usually they're dealing with stuff related to like, oh, I need to change my class or, you know, I need to defer an exam or whatever. Or like they have to sign off on a bunch of paperwork. But some departments, they have actual programming. Like I know they do in political science. In fact, I might be doing a talk there in the fall on uh, writing academic papers for the department. So you should check with your department and see if they have any special stuff, especially at the beginning of semesters. They try to do things to help students out. Yeah, I think um, also like at my college, there was like a once a year, like one day long, like on a Saturday, like a writing boot camp. Hmm. It was pretty interesting. Um, but I think like with the regular help, like the problem kind of is that you can normally like for each paper that you have, like the most you could see it, like someone would be like once. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something I, I sort of like wish there was something more for. Or I guess like, um, yeah, I wish I could have like known more about like outside help at that time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I got no help. I didn't even go to the writing center. I don't even know if there was a writing center. Probably. <laughs> Back in my undergrad. Uh, we used to just get each other to help each other, which is another good strategy. Yeah, I think I like looked over some like papers with my roommates before too. But I think the thing is, like, you're paying tuition. The university has a ton of resources. I mean, they have a health center. I've used a health center in all my degrees. Uh, they have counseling. There's undergraduate advisors in your department. If you're in a, if it's like the U of T where there's colleges, there's also like an advisor usually connect to your uh, college. There's the registrar's office, which can help you with like things related to tuition, things related to courses, things related to like if you have a lot of issues going on in your life and you need extra extensions or you need to defer exams, they're really helpful. Um, the library, there's tons of resources. The librarians are super smart. And um, also like accessibility services. If you have uh, some learning challenges, like ADHD or something, you can often get money for tutoring. So I had some students from there. So there's tons of stuff. So I, I mean, I would recommend, I don't know what, if you attended your orientation, Lisa, but um, mispronounce your name and we have the same name. Um, but I found that really helpful is the orientation week or here, I guess it's like called frosh. Did you attend yours? Um, I sort of did in my first year. And then I think when after it transferred, there was sort of something that could help people like reorientate, but I don't think I attended that one. Mm. Yeah, I think second year is not such a big deal, but first year is helpful. 
So we've been chatting a long time. We'll do our traditional kind of wrap up of our podcast by asking you, what is a book you would recommend? Like any book, doesn't have to be related to school, but like a book you think is so great. Even though you had to read all those books in school, you'd still want to read it now. Right. Um, I think some books that I'm starting to read now are books that I uh, purchased for this class that I actually never ended up taking. Oh. Um, there's this one called Why Smart People Can Be So Stupid. <laughs> uh, I think it's by Robert Sternberg, and it's that's something that like um, sort of like caught my attention because I think the book kind of like explores why we sometimes fall into these like ways of thinking that cool what was the name of that book again and the author um it's why smart people can be so stupid by robert sternberg so thanks for being on our podcast lisa that was fun you yeah, know no problem. interviewer um i just want to remind everyone that after our interview there is a segment with a short meditation and a writing exercise, so stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening. Take care. During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder, and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow, deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose. Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing.
See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One. Exhale. One. Inhale. One. Exhale. One. Continue to count each inhalation and exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, wiggle your fingers and toes, shrug your shoulders, open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Thanks everyone for staying tuned. Again, thanks Lisa for sharing your thoughts and your experiences about completing an undergraduate degree. And thanks so much for that lovely meditation. So on the topic of going to school or starting something new, I was reminded of one of my favorite childhood books called The Daring Game by Kit Pearson. And I used to read a lot of Kit Pearson books. I love them because they're about girls' friendships and getting us into mischief. And she's also a Canadian author. So I recognized a lot of the settings because I traveled across Canada a lot as a kid. So I love those books a lot. And this particular book is about the main character starting boarding school in Vancouver and making new friends and a thing starting up called the daring game which causes a bit of tension for the main character so although this is about high school girls in boarding school and really a book you probably would read in grade six um it kind of reminded me of that experience and so i recommend it to you guys if you're looking for a book to read before you start this new adventure. It's kind of a cute story. And it made me think of a potential writing prompt. So this is a three-part writing exercise. And the first thing I want you to do is think back to a time when you started something new, a new challenge, something scary maybe. And remember that time 
and write down something about that time that was scary or difficult. So take a few moments to write down a situation when you tried something new, like starting a new school, starting a new job, going to summer camp, um, something that happened that was scary or challenging. So you can pause the podcast or continue listening. For the second part of the writing prompt, I want you to think about how you overcame that challenge. So what did you do? What kind of skills or talents did you use? Um, write down that part of the story. How did you overcome that challenge? And, and write it as a story, as a narrative, not just bullet points. Take a few minutes to do that. You can pause the podcast. And the third part of the writing prompt is, I want you to try to pull out some skills or knowledge that you gain from that particular challenging experience and overcoming it. And I want you to write down some of those skills or that new knowledge bullet point form and think about how will this help you on your new journey of going to start college or university. How can you transfer overcoming that tricky experience in the past to going towards this new challenging and scary experience? What kind of tools do you have in your back pocket? So I want you to really think about that and write those down. So I hope that this small little exercise has helped you to recognize that you have the ability to face new experiences and overcome challenges. And through each of those new experiences, you're gaining skills and knowledge. And so even though going off to school and leaving your family can be scary, you do have the ability to do it. And if you need help, reach out to us. So I wanted to thank everyone for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about FAO Academic Writing, you can check out our website at www.fao.ca or follow us on social media at FAO underscore academic writing. If you need any extra support with your academic studies or writing skills, send us a message anytime. We look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life.